G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm going to share with you how successful people approach the making of mistakes. Now, it may surprise you because I think this is one of the main reasons that can see a successful people accelerate and gain real learnings, real experience from their mistakes versus those that are unsuccessful, diminish, go into their comfort zones, become more fearful and actually reduce their chances for success. So I'm not only going to share with you the thinking, I'm going to share with you two of my top property mistakes. I don't want them to scare you. I want you to learn from them as well. And you'll notice that I discuss many of these learnings in my other episodes too. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. Making mistakes is actually the fastest way to accelerate your learning. And if you approach them the right way, they can really help you succeed in not just property investment, but life. So why do most people, unfortunately, not use their mistakes the best way? Why do they not use them to exceed and accelerate their learning? I think it all goes back to when we're in school. And I remember being taught that we're always needing to be right and we try to get you know 100% on a test and we try to be perfect with everything that we do. We get given the lesson first by the teacher and then we get tested on it later but in life things are really different and especially when you enter the world of business and investing in life we usually make the mistake first often by trial and error try to learn some things before we do it but usually we stumble our way into a mistake and we don't know what we what we didn't even know and then we need to find the lesson after the mistake And if we don't, well, we're likely to keep making that mistake until we do. Have you found that you ever repeat the same patterns and have things coming up again that you should have learned from? So most people do miss the lesson as they let their upsetness at the time cloud things and take over. And yep, I'm certainly guilty of this in the past and I really have to check in with my emotions any time that I am making a mistake and be conscious of what's coming up. So we all get upset and that's completely normal. So I'm not suggesting to become a robot automaton, but when we make a mistake, it's then up to us to choose how we handle that. And that's what makes all the difference. So I'm actually part of a mastermind group, of very successful business owners, and I've been in the group for about a year, absolutely loving it. So We share our wins and we share our losses and mistakes that we make each month and we all take turns to share how we've handled a similar situation that one of us might be in and and struggling with at the time. So getting those other perspectives from the mastermind group really help us decide ourselves on how to handle things in the way forward. We're learning then from other people's mistakes and other people's um, moments that they've been in those same situations. We also do this really interesting activity that I think everyone get a huge amount of value from, and it's called a lifeline. So we draw out the top 5% 
and the bottom 5% of events that have occurred to us since the day we were born. So that can be pretty daunting at first, but when you actually go back in time, not that many events are either the top 5% or bottom 5%. When you start sketching them out, you give them a, a, a positive rating from 1 to 10 and a negative rating from negative 1 to negative 10. And we did this exercise when we started working together and we run through our lifeline with the rest of the group. It was an amazing way to get to know each other. And it helped each of us to see the patterns of how our decisions were getting made and where we haven't learned from those mistakes. We could often see in the lifeline that the same things were coming up a few times before we learned them. And some people had continued to make the same or very similar mistakes repeatedly and hadn't learned. So that was a big tap on the shoulder for them. And these were not just in business, but also in personal and in family and life. And how we approach decisions in one area often was how we approach decisions in some of the others. So fixing a mistake or a way that we think about things could actually open up and really help our whole life. So a great little exercise if you want to do that. can take a number of hours to think them through, draw it out and to reflect on it, but time really well spent. So the other thing I took away from this exercise was that all the guys in my mastermind group are ultra successful people. And the common thing among us all is that we've made a hell of a lot of mistakes. And it was just actually refreshing to see how many mistakes other people have made, believe it or not. I'm not just the only one that's made a heap. So there's a saying that if you've never made any mistakes, you've probably never done anything. And that's certainly true when it comes to investing. And some of the biggest failures in life are those that have never made a mistake at all. You can picture them, you know, they love uh, chiming in on the Facebook groups and um, shooting everything down, but what have they actually done? They might be safe. They might uh, not have made any mistakes. They might be right with everything, but they've done nothing. You're not going to get ahead by doing that, by doing nothing. So unfortunately, the lessons that people often take away from making a mistake is that they learn to avoid new situations where they might make another mistake and they avoid their areas of weakness. And so this leads to them shrinking their overall comfort zone down further and further until they're prepared to, they're not prepared to invest or try anything new. And you can see it in people after a series of success successive mistakes, they're no longer willing to try again instead of finding the real learnings in those and changing up their approach. So the thing we need to do when we're in these moments is to look for the character that we play the most when we um, jump into a mistake. And this is from Robert Kiyosaki's Guide to Investing, and it's um, so true. So very often people become the character of the liar or the blamer or the denier. And that's called below the line thinking. It's where we're not at fault and everything else is. And by making the external to you at fault or someone else or something else, it takes away the learning that we could possibly get from that situation. Because what could you do differently next time if you had no control or no impact on the outcome this time? 
that's why you decide just not to invest or not to take any risk. And that's how you do decrease your comfort zone and end up not succeeding. So instead, try to move above the line into responsibility. And that's where you take full ownership of what you're doing. You regroup, you reflect on the different points where you went wrong and you learn. And then you put it back, you feed it back in. And every time you feed one of these mistakes in, of the, the spiraling up in your success, in your experience, what you can roll into the next situation is massive. One of our core values at Investor's Edge with all of my team and for the whole business is one of ownership. So we have a question that we ask each other and that is, are you thinking above the line there or below the line? And that comes up in all kinds of situations where we can go down to denying and blaming and, and not taking responsibility. Not everything's, it's not to say that everything's your fault, but you can take responsibility for the part that you've played and the decisions that you've made. So that's a bit of an insight into the thinking that I see successful people have and that makes the biggest difference to those that are not. Now, how about we go into some of my biggest mistakes? I'll go into my top two juiciest ones just to show you that there's a lot to learn from them and to reflect on some of the, the big takeaways I've had. So my first one is that I bought in an area that I didn't really know and there were some big consequences and my strategy was just entirely wrong. So around 14 years ago, I bought a property in Ipswich, Queensland. I paid $267,000 at the time and I had a limited budget. My research at the time told me that this was the next growth hotspot. So I got it for a good price using a buyer's agent over there. I did a basic reno, spending $12,000 on carpet, paint, handyman, and new appliances. And it was a 1,200 square meter block with a two by one older shack kind of house on the front. I made sure that it was subdividable. And I spent $3,000 getting uh, it surveyed and the plans lodged for a rear block and got the, the conditional subdivision approval through. So I then at that time got revalued at 320. So a reasonable increase on the 267 that I bought it for. And I refinanced some money out. So I thought I'd done well until it all went to shit. So I didn't know the area very well there at all. And I wasn't familiar with the council's contributions that were required to subdivide. So I got a really rude shock when I got that conditional subdivision approval because it turns out that they just raised their development contributions and it was going to cost $45,000 for a, a drainage contribution and footpath levy. And it made subdivision completely unprofitable. So, you know, low, lower prices in those areas. You'd imagine when you're looking at, you know, 20% of the rear block value or more, that there goes your profit straight off the bat. So then Ipswich had its floods. The property and the whole area was affected and prices took a big dive, a huge dive. This was on the back of the GFC as well, so that didn't help things, but many other areas recovered much quicker and, and bounced back, but Ipswich just never seemed to. And then on top of that, interest rates were high and the property was costing me about $10,000 a year to hold because there was you know, not, not a very good rentable property on the front. Now, everyone else around the area had the same idea as me. 
to subdivide. And so there was a glut of blocks being created. And there was also a huge amount of land around on the outskirts of the whole area on all sides of Ipswich for new estates to be created. So the property was really basic and it was in a lower socioeconomic area and it attracted poor quality tenants. And I'd have ongoing issues with rent being late and various other issues with routine inspections not presenting well and stuff. And so it was just a real hassle. I'd held it five years and I couldn't see the values coming back anytime soon. And it didn't make sense to keep holding it because I needed the borrowing capacity to do other things with. So when I came to sell, I was told that it was probably worth 220000 That was down around hundred grand from where it had been valued at previously. It was a tough decision at the time because I couldn't see it changing anytime soon. It was costing us money. The potential to develop wasn't there anymore. Headaches with the tenant, real tough decision. I had other properties that I wanted to move forward, develop. I needed that borrowing capacity back. So I made the real difficult decision to sell and meet the market. By the time we ended up selling, we got 197000 So that's approximately a $100,000 loss on all the money that we'd put in. Not a fun mistake at all. Costly one. So nine years later, when I've now checked to see what the value is, and I, I like to take a look at properties I've sold every now and then to see where they're at, see if it was a good decision to sell or not. And the property is back to being worth two sixty. And that's near what I paid for it uh, 14 years ago. So was it a good decision getting out at 200? Maybe, maybe not. Yes, it's increased in the 14 years um, by 20, 30%. Other properties have doubled in that time and uh, it should never have dropped by so much. And there was plenty of other things that I've been able to do with the money and with the borrowing capacity since. So Top lessons I've taken away. You'll recognize that some of these are from my previous podcasts weaved in and and it's hard to separate often where I've picked up the lessons from. But speaking to this specific property, doing the basic renovation was certainly a good way to add some quick value. So that was a positive lesson I took away. You don't have to do a massive renovation to, to add some value. Lease got back probably triple what I spent close to triple what I spent for on the renovation. The crap house attracts crap tenants. Well, no shit, but I didn't realize just how that was going to affect my experience as an investor when I'm having to deal with tenants that are always behind in rent, always you know not presenting their property well. You definitely need to check flood levels when you're buying land if that is possible to be flooded and it's just not worth taking the risk on because it has a massive effect when it does happen. Another lesson, buying where there's an oversupply of land will keep prices down. Now, this is probably the biggest one because that is what fundamentally led to there not being the price growth over all that time because they just kept releasing new estates all around it. It didn't matter how much um, increase in demand and how much population increase was happening for Ipswich and how many jobs were getting created because... I was on the outskirts and there was land aplenty. Next one, check into the council contributions that are payable in any proposed changes because I didn't understand that it would be that high. That was insane, 45000 Using adding value strategies of renovation and subdivision on the wrong poorly located property will never make a good investment. 
Oh, yes, that rings true. And finally, sometimes the greatest cost is not the money that you lose, but the opportunity cost of being in a poor investment instead of a better one. So had I put the money in the borrowed capacity into something else, I would have I not only lost the money, but I lost the time. And that's a shame. But these lessons have really stuck with me and really helped me to make much more money since. So second big property mistake that I'd love to share today is buying an off-the-plan apartment. Now, let me take you through this. So around 13 years ago, I wanted to buy a property in Melbourne. I'd done lots of research and the market was looking up. And so I thought if I bought property off the plan, that by the time it settles, the market would have gone up a lot and I may not have to tip any money into it at all. That was the theory. That was the strategy that I was going with. So I found out about a new development overlooking the river in Maribyrnong near Flemington. And I thought it would have a great, unique view over the water because it was sitting up directly over the water. And being new, I'd have good depreciation to claim on my tax and I was promised an above average rental yield. And at the time, I shared my research with some of the property investors that I knew and got together a group of us to buy together. And the developer needed pre-sales so he gave all of us around a 5% discount. So I thought, yep, 5% discount, this is great. We've got 14 to 16 months we expect the building to take. By then, I'll be hopefully seeing a 20% plus increase and you know this will all be worth it. So the building ended up taking 30 months, around double the time from memory. And the whole time, I had to be ready and able to settle the property. I had to keep my borrowing capacity back from the use in other properties. Couldn't use it to do other things because I didn't know exactly when the building was going to finish. If I wasn't able to settle, then the developer could keep my deposit and sue me for any difference in the property prices if it, if it had dropped. So you have to be ready to settle an off-the-plan property. So it was very frustrating just to be left waiting and waiting and waiting and not having control over that time frame, So the market had moved up in the meantime. That was the good, good thing. At least I got the timing right on the cycle. And my contract price was 560 and the valuation on completion was 620. So an okay increase. But over that time, the median house price in Melbourne had increased substantially. And if I bought a house, almost anywhere else, I would have done substantially better. So at least I was in the market. At least I had a gain instead of a loss. It could have gone a lot worse if the market went against me during that time. But the gain could have been a lot greater if I'd just thrown a dart at a board and bought any house that was you know, within 20 kilometers of Melbourne, probably probably done better on anything. So with there being so, other, so many other apartments in the complex for rent, the return on completion was much lower at $420 per week compared to the price we were originally quoted at around $550 a week. So that's a pretty massive drop, $130 less than what we thought we were going to get. The problem was the tenants were also not looking for apartments in that area. Yeah, wow. This is unique because it's the only apartment complex, but no, there's no tenants looking for that type of property. So with 15 apartments or 20 apartments coming on at the same time for rent out of, I think there was 30 or 40 in the group, 
of course, we had to reduce price to find a tenant. Now, interest rates were higher at the time. The strata fees were large and the property was costing $14,000 after all things considered to hold per year. In the long time that it took to build this project, many more apartments were also approved for the area, taking away any uniqueness. And I could see that there was a large supply oversupply of apartments coming. They were all under construction. So one year later, after settling on the property, I decided to sell the property. We asked 6.30, I think I remember at the time, and we ended up getting 600,000 as there was a whole bunch of just completed brand new apartments that it was competing with. So those new apartments had already started to show up everywhere. Now, I just checked the likely market value now and it would likely be at 550000 That's some, God, 10 years later. 10 years later, it's actually gone down in, in price. And meanwhile, we've had crazy increases in median house prices across Melbourne over the last year, and, and there's, there would have been another growth period back in the middle there of it as well. So just as well I got out, but I shouldn't have been in it in the first place, and I was lucky that I didn't end up with a loss. All things considered, there was a huge opportunity cost from being tied up there for four years and only making, by the time you take off your selling, your selling costs on 600,000, you might be left with, you know, 585, you know, paid 560, you had stamp duty, yeah. And my holding costs, I probably didn't make anything. It was probably a break even to a slight loss. So top lessons I've learned when when buying off the plan with long build times, and let's face it, all off the plan build times are long. They're only going to be longer now. It's really hard to be ready to finance it. So it's a single contract. You don't settle at any land first. You buy it all off the plan and you settle on completion. That's the way that those apartment projects are done. Many things can change in the market. Many things can change with your situation and change with the suburb, as I saw with all those other projects going at getting underway in the meantime. And it's just way too risky for me as an investor. It's being a speculator and a gambler. And I think the potential for the upside is just not there to warrant the risk. So it's also very hard to know the prices for rent and for sale when there's no history or evidence to base your investing on. And that's the trouble with brand new, especially when there's not many other projects like it in the area. So I'd now prefer to have 30 years plus history of proven performance in a, when I'm looking at a suburb and a specific property. I like to look back on how that specific property is performed as well. So the history's there, it's got proven performance or it hasn't. And I don't speculate, I don't gamble on those things. So even an apartment with direct water views is still not unique enough and can be duplicated easily was another learning lesson. Not allowing, it never allowed for the demand to exceed supply because there was continual supply of new apartment complexes coming on. So prices never increased. Another takeaway, the values in the land and you need a greater land to building ratio, preferably to see appreciation. Otherwise, you've got your building depreciating. You've got, you don't have a strong land component to appreciate. Final lesson and there could be many many more from this one as well but top takeaway the last one was don't be attracted by the shiny promises of depreciation 
and having a new property. So, so many investors get caught up in this. Hopefully, I've dispelled some of the myths that in my uh, Buying Newverse established episode a few ones back. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. Now, top two mistakes. I hope you don't listen to those and take that reaction that the majority of people take. Don't take, take away from this. Don't let your learning be not to do anything. Don't let these me sharing my mistakes decrease your comfort zone and scare you. I'm trying to help you avoid them. I'm trying to share with you the hard-fought, hard-costed mistakes I've made so that you don't have to make them. And I've since gone on to make some really great money on properties that have far offset these losses and the learning lessons will stay with me forever. So hopefully you can avoid these and many others that I share with you each week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.